Welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live. I'm delighted to say that um, I'm chatting on this Friday afternoon to Musi Maimane, despite the fact that he's incredibly busy, uh, because this is literally less than 24 hours before he is to launch a new political outfit. And I wanted to ask him what that is all about. And um, I thought, well, let's see whether we can be lucky enough to get him to come on the show. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people zone, their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Musi, thank you so much, despite your busy schedule, for making time for us. Eusebius, it's my great privilege to be on. I appreciate the invitation and it's great to be able to be in conversation with you. I want to cut immediately to one of the most obvious questions. Although you left formally politics in 2019 as DA leader, you continue to be engaged as an active citizen on all sorts of hot button issues, be it border controls, questions around, for example, our policy when it comes to international relations in relation to Zimbabwe, to take but one case study, or education, which you have been passionate about. And you've even gone so far as to crisscross the country to be physically present and and not just be a keyboard activist. But you fell short of being explicit about setting up some sort of political structure and contesting the elections. You've now decided to do so. Why have you done so? And is it a political party Or why is this phrase a political umbrella, the one that seems to be associated with this launch? Thank you so much, Eusebius. And um, as we speak right now, we find ourselves in a significant crisis of load shedding in the sense that it indicates the current political leadership that we have. I'd always felt Mm. to solve the problems of this country would require a reset of the political representation question, which is ensuring that citizens have the power to, at times like Mm. this, be able to directly elect people. What has happened subsequent to that is almost a malicious compliance of the constitutional court judgment that demanded electoral reform. And so as I crisscrossed the country speaking to citizens, it became quite clear that the current political parties would, in fact, make it impossible for someone to be able to stand for public office without an affiliation of a political party. And secondly, their mechanisms were built to protect themselves. So we're setting up, because to be on the IEC, you have to be a political party. We have a political party that will be on the ballot contesting for 2024. The notion for the ideals of an umbrella, etc., still goes back to the principle that says, hey, you've got to go back to communities and ask them, to directly elect their people, nominate their MPs, so that representation comes from the grassroots up. And these are the part of the reformation I truly believe this political party will bring to the people of South Africa and Mm. continue this notion of activism. Because at the end of the day, the last thing we need 
is one party dominance that delivers state capture of a different color. Absolutely. A couple of factual questions. Is the party already actually registered? And what is it called? These will be unveiled tomorrow at the launch. And so I guess the disadvantage of doing this a day before is that I will certainly hold my, keep my powder dry until tomorrow. It will be registered with the IEC when that opportunity presents itself. But tomorrow is an invitation to South Africans to help us work together to build this platform. Okay, so it's not yet registered. That will happen imminently. Absolutely. It will be a political party. It will be on the ballot box and it will be registered with the IEC. We just uh, wanted to launch it tomorrow so that that process can unfold after that. To the first part of my slightly long introduction, is this a classic political party or is it a loose arrangement? And can you make that as precise as possible? Yeah, it is not a classic political party. Political parties by themselves uh, usurp power from people. This, in essence, uh, acts in a manner that says nominations must come from communities for members of parliament. Secondly, the power to recall still is embedded in communities, and that's why even in our constitution, those issues are enshrined. And ultimately, the issues it will advance, we almost want to make it logical and practical for people to say activism must be located in communities and those communities can bring change in this country. So so, so in that sense, it will always operate differently to a political party in that uh, it operates more in a franchise model that people can be able to say, whilst we're part of a collective nationally, the ownership still resides with the people. I will lead it and it has to. And the word I, when I use the word franchise is that you cannot debate that these people are affiliated together. You cannot debate that they share common values, share common vision. And where there are nuances in communities, the particular candidate will address those with their community. But at the end of the day, the power of the collective and the leadership that does ensures that we can ultimately make a national impact rather than just only region. Yeah, you see, this is why I miss you and I sitting in a studio for an entire hour. I immediately want to latch on to the detail. I know that we have agreed mm. to have a longer conversation, but it would be remiss not to ask one or two obvious questions about that. I guess in a sense, if one is generous, and if I wear my, my if I you know apply the principle of charity, I hear you say whether or not we have electoral reform and a constituency-based model that empower communities your franchise model will be ahead of the curve while parliamentarians and political parties are resisting change. But A, is that right? And B, what about this problem, even if that vision is well-intentioned, that from a legal point of view, if I were to become an MP under your umbrella, I don't really have to care about the moral compulsion of listening to my community. Um, because once I'm in Parliament, I can enjoy the perks that come with being a lazy backbencher and whatever the case might be. So how do you enforce your model legally and not just in terms of moral suasion? Remember that when any candidate stands on our platform, they have to sign on to a constitution that gives its way of practice. Mm. And part of that constitution makes sure you are always located within a particular community the further part of that constitution is that it empowers the recall mechanisms that the community working with the organization is able to do recall, call you back. And yeah. so we, it's not being generous when you say we want to practice what we preach or what we've been fighting for. 
It is precisely mm-hmm. what we're trying to do. And I think mm-hmm. this model has been tried in different parts of the world and different parts of, uh, of and different democracies to achieve this outcome because we have to do that. And one of the things that I, I want to emphasize is that it's not just you will arrive and you say you're part of our platform, but you want to do your own thing in that sense. Your own thing is built around the vision, the values that we share. Make no mistake, there'll be other people who will say, I don't want to be part of anything. I'll just stand on my own if that's what they want to do, or I'll go join another political party. That's perfectly their own decision. We are not saying we are the only platform for this purpose. We are saying we are an option that says, born on values of Ubuntu, that says, how do we, in fact, share our humanity, our interconnectedness as human beings, and how we restore dignity in human beings, shared on those values and others, dealing with a vision for economic reform, not only electoral reform, but how do we deal with the education question, how do we deal with the crime question and health question, born out of those visions which play themselves out in communities. How do we then work together to resolve those issues? Yeah, you've spoken directly into the next obvious question that raises itself in a way, or maybe it's not that obvious, very often ahead of the potential for alliance, for example, around coalition talks, political parties and your former party, the DA, is very good at this kind of vagueness, would say things like, we're prepared to be in talks with anyone, provided they share our values. But of course, in that sentence, Musi, the phrase share our values does a lot of heavy lifting. And when I saw examples of those values coming from you being Ubuntu and the other one non-racialism, I thought to myself, if you choose the right values, they are so inoffensive as to not really tell you what the deal breakers are, or someone can sign up for them while secretly having a very different idea in their mind of what non-racialism entails to what you mean by it. Under your non-racialism, you might be opposed, for argument's sake, to color-coded language in policy. Mm. Under my idea of non-racialism, I might have anti-racism in mind and think that affirmative action with color-coded language is permissive, mm. even if I'm a non-racial activist. So can you can you just tell me how you respond to my yeah. worry that talk of values that are shared is a little bit loose and vague and doesn't really tell me what the non-negotiables are. I think if you you take cognizance of my previous response, I made two, uh, I made the first point, which is about values, and then I proceeded to the next, which is about vision. Because Mm. vision is a crucial component. I actually think coalitions without vision are bound to be to fail, even if Mm. people may share values. Because the vision is the execution of, it lends itself to saying, well, what do we want to do around education? What do we want to do around Mm. the economy? What do we want to do about Mm. safety of our citizens, healthcare, and how do we see government working efficiently? So to me, part of the big deal, and this is where if you don't choose parties, if I sit here today and say, we'll work with that party, that party, that party, that'd be a misnomer. But if you are very crystal clear about your vision as to what the country is, which is the work that I've been doing, you then can sit down and be able to go in any negotiation 
it has to be bound up around that because that's the only place you realize value mm. for what this country needs to go towards. So I would argue that the, mm. if you like, without being preachy, but the two V's make a, a significant difference if you then couple with them with the idea that actually once we can agree on vision, negotiate it, spend much longer time before we sign on the dotted line to say let's coalesce and go back to our communities who are at the center to say our vision is for your community to do X, Y, and Z then coalitions can work. And this is an important thing for 2024 because in 2024 and how our parliamentary system is written and designed, it was designed precisely for this issue. Because suddenly if, say, Party A and Party B get together, they're able to say, we share a common vision about how we empower communities. So when budget votes come around, let's say we want to deliver water as an argument, Party B then has a legitimate stance to say, this is a budget vote we will support because it delivers water to my community. But if Party C says, no, look, I can't support that, it is then entitled to vote against it, born out of the fact that it doesn't benefit its community. So I think we've missed, as South Africans, one of the things that have been quite painfully obvious for me, when others use the words, we lack the consensus, others, we talk about alignment, I think we're perishing as a nation because of a lack of vision. I actually think that that's part of the fundamental difficulty. And it's true for ESCOM in that if you say to me, what is the vision for ESCOM and ask government rather than dealing with a crisis now, what's the vision for it? No one can tell you. That's why we're making arbitrary decisions that lead us to stage five. So to me, let's be crystal clear mm -hmm. about that issue. I totally agree with that. How do you avoid intractable differences amongst those who are part of this franchise model? For example, if I am sincerely deeply committed to very conservative economic thinking around job creation, economic growth. I think that the state is overburdened in terms of the spend on social welfare. I have a principled disdain for the idea of scaffolding people too much rather than market fundamentalism. And someone else comes along and they have very different values that inform their competing vision. What then becomes the one South Africa or whatever the outfit is eventually called, vision? Or will we end up voting as individuals under the umbrella in parliament? So, so here's the next big thing, right? When we look at values, values and vision are always ranked, okay? So that's how human beings uh, collaborate on this issue. That's how we make decisions. And without trying to go into the weeds of this discussion, because it can become quite philosophical, I do think what in, invariably happens is that on a basket of issues, we share the top five common issues together that we have to come to agreement on and how we execute those. But I do accept the fact that you might in your community find a nuance on a particular issue. And I do believe fundamentally that the plan we've crafted, the values we've put together and the vision was will find unanimity with the candidates and the people we will work with. This is, we have to do that in the next 100 days and you can be assured by by the time we get to the elections and you say yeah the candidates there will be unanimous agreement on that score because it will be workshop not only with the communities we serve uh, it will be workshop with the candidates that we serve and i come back again in a marketplace of ideas you might actually turn around and say you know the electoral law allows me to stand for an election as an individual i don't have to do be part of this which you would be entitled to do so because you might have other values and other vision that's different to yours. I want to give you the permission to do that. But in the next 100 days, we would have workshopped it, worked it with communities, because part of the reason you've got to build the consensus 
as it were, an alignment of vision is so that citizens don't arrive post facto and say, now I want to change and do this and do that. You've got to say to yourself, for the next five years of term, given how the parliamentary law has been given constituency offices, the continuous iteration and engagement with voters, here are the five things that we are going to do. Maybe issue number six and seven, maybe unique to community X, but not common in community Y. Let us then allow that differentiation, if you like, but on a broad fundamental issues. And here are the top five, you see this. I'm not going to deviate from those. On the economy, on education, on healthcare, safety, and the efficacy of government. Those issues we have to get right. Three last questions. The third last question relates precisely to what you say. It's almost as if we are in sync dialectically, but I think just differing on how much of a hurdle you have to cross. And I'm playing devil's advocate here. Let's take any one of the five critically important issues you've mentioned. And I think you've, in my subjective opinion, picked the correct ones. But if you take, for example, safety, reasonable people can reasonably disagree about what the low-hanging fruit, if any, are to be picked in making our communities safety. We can have deep disagreement about, for example, whether we need harsher punishment for criminals, bring back the death penalty or not. We can have deep disagreement about how we go about ensuring that the SAPs are not seen as a police force, but as a police service and how you build communities where there is mutual trust between the police officers and the community. You call that philosophical. I think those are fairly practical issues. We haven't even spoken philosophy. Ideology is not part of today's podcast discussion between us. On a purely practical basis, if you, yeah. me, and your wife were sitting around the braai, we, the three of us alone would have vigorous disagreement. And I think we've got a lot of overlapping values among us, let alone if we were to bring in a young from Krugersdorp into the conversation. Yeah, and, and I think we've established certain principles. You know, one of them is how to be rigorous, because that's the nature uh, of the state and that's the nature of democracy. Fine, you and I can have differing opinions on this issue. At the end of the day, we rely on what the best research could guide us into doing. Yeah. We rely, secondly, on a very significant issue, what is practicable in the sense that we might philosophically think that the, you know, the police might, might not need to be nationalized, but rather decentralized. That's one mm -hmm. of the principal issues that we go into. And I'm happy for us to go into the rigorosity of that debate, mm -hmm. go into the communities to engage, but be assured that by the time we, if you like, like an anti-nuptial agreement or whatever the, the thing is, we would have agreed on what the best route forward, born out of yeah. rigorous uh, research, born out of practicality of what that is, and also born an electability of that of, of that position so that we can come back and say, okay. here's where we stand and ultimately this is what we're going to do. So to me, I think it's democracy in practice. That's when really it matters. Because what we have at the moment isn't democracy. I actually think people come and vote and then we kind of wave at the politicians goodbye and then we say we'll see you after five years. What they do, and in truth, the ecosystem of the of the politics in this country has fallen short of actually interrogating what policy, what its executions are, etc. We hold no one accountable for those issues. We only hold people accountable for corruption. So if a minister of jobs and the economy doesn't do their job, we only are waiting for them to be corrupt. But we don't. We forget that the line of unemployment is growing every year, and they keep their jobs. Okay. Second last question for today. 
What if I say to you, Musi, I think this is a pretty cool idea, but why do you want to be the unelected president? You'd be a great spokesperson. Let's go get Mbalin Turi to be the leader. Let's go get Songhezo Zibi. If it's all about democracy, as you've said in your last answer, in terms of how we will formulate positions on the five critical issues that we will then mobilize, debate around in parliament against the incumbent government, why does democracy not extend to the question of who becomes leader of this outfit? Yeah, certainly. And I think that at the end of the day, when you establish an organization, I'm born with a vision. I believe I've got to deliver it and I will work towards it. And believe you me, as an, as an organization that prides itself in democratic practice, when we have Congress and all of those things, then the process can unfold. And if my constituency says to me, no, Musi, you're not fit to lead, we must remove you, that's fine. But Malin Tuli is not doing this, neither is anyone else. It's Musi Maimane who stepped up and said, let me go and do it. And that's the thing. I could wait for all the superstars to come. But at this point in time, given the calling, the sense of faith, I've got to set myself out and go. And then at as leaders are coming around and then we get to kind of things that's eventually say, how do we set up a Congress? We can have elections. That's not the debate. I'm not anti-democratic. I'm simply saying to you, we have to formulate, we have to start and we have to go and invite South Africans. So here's the question I want you to answer in 60 seconds for me, Musi. Um, the most reasonable tweets that have been critical have said, there are so many parties. Why not just draw an action SA or another party? And and those seem to be tweets from people who aren't virulently anti-Musi, but who just have fatigue with the idea of new political outfits, whether you call them parties or umbrellas. What do you say to that in 60 seconds? I think it's important to remind ourselves that different leaders bring different visions. I disagree with the position that certain leaders take on immigration, like Mr. Mashaba, for example, on issues we may disagree on the economy, etc. And when I left in 2019, it became a question of engaging community and civic society and building a constituency from there with citizens that want to work together. So ultimately, you can't just simply say to yourself, well, we'll reconcile uh, just in basic terms, values and vision with another political party that's already established that has a view on matters. I'd rather reconcile it with new South Africans who want to see an alternative. So yes, it is hard, but I don't feel that the current political system would be one I could easily just simply slot into.